Caucus Media Networks. This is America's First News. This morning with your host, Gordon Deal. The U.S. strikes back. Good morning. I'm Mike Gavin in for Gordon Deal along with Nicole Murray. It's Friday, January 12, 2024, and here's what we have for you this hour. A U.S.-led coalition launched strikes against Iran-backed rebels in the in retaliation for attacks in the Red Sea. Former President Trump attacked the judge and attorney general during closing arguments of his civil fraud trial in New York. Hunter Biden pleads not guilty to tax fraud charges in Los Angeles. And what it's like to navigate your golden years with no retirement savings. We've got inflation, we have rising rents, and so we're seeing more older adults seeking help from various resources. There's one called Elder Care Locator Tool, and that Elder Care Locator Tool helps people find who are in need, helps people find different resources to help pay their bills and and, uh, get financial support. Veronica Dagger of The Wall Street Journal profiles the people making retirement work on Social Security only, coming up later in the hour. President Biden says the U.S. and U.K. carried out strikes on targets in Yemen to retaliate for Houthi attacks in the Red Sea. The strikes were conducted with assistance from Australia, Bahrain, Canada and the Netherlands. In a statement, the president said the strikes are in direct response to unprecedented Houthi attacks against international maritime vessels in the Red Sea, including the use of anti-ship ballistic missiles for the first time in history, adding that he will not hesitate to direct further measures to protect our people and the free flow of international commerce as necessary. Pentagon spokesman Pat Ryder. We're grateful to the more than 20 nations that have joined Operation Prosperity Guardian so far to help protect maritime traffic and provide security in the Red Sea, to include Singapore, which announced this week they'll join this international defensive coalition. Officials declined to say exactly where and what the strikes hit, but Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin said in a statement that strikes targeted the Houthis unmanned aerial vehicle uncrewed surface vessel, land attack cruise missile, and coastal radar and air surveillance capabilities. A defense official said that Austin, who has been hospitalized because of an infection related to surgery to treat prostate cancer, monitored the operation in real time from the hospital. U.S. Central Command said in a statement that it struck over 60 targets at 16 Iranian-backed Houthi militant locations. Former President Donald Trump disregarded restrictions imposed by the judge overseeing his civil fraud trial in New York and addressed the court during closing arguments yesterday, raging against the state's attorney general and the judge himself for several minutes on the final day of proceedings. Afterward, he held court with reporters. They have no case. It's a shame that a thing like this is able to happen. One day before, Judge Arthur Engoron told Trump's attorneys that he would only be allowed to speak if he limited his comments to relevant material facts that are are in evidence and application of the relevant law to those facts. His legal team did not agree to those conditions. A Trump attorney raised the issue again in court, and the judge asked if he would abide by the limits. Trump began speaking, and Engoron allowed him to continue. New York Attorney General Letitia James. At the end of the day, the point is simple. No matter how powerful you are, no matter how rich you are, that no one is above the law. James' office is seeking $370 million and the state and lifetime ban for Trump from working in New York real estate, among other sanctions. The tension-filled day brings to an end a chaotic trial that lasted for more than three months. The judge has indicated he intends to make a ruling in the coming weeks. 
Hunter Biden pleaded not guilty to nine federal tax charges in the Central District of California yesterday. Federal prosecutors allege President Biden's son engaged in a four-year scheme to avoid paying at least $1.4 million in federal taxes. In December, they charged Biden with nine counts of tax crimes, including three felony and six misdemeanor charges related to his alleged failure to file and pay taxes, evasion of assessment, and filing a false or fraudulent tax return. If convicted, he faces up to seven. 17 years in prison. Hunter Biden's day in court was a long time coming, according to New Jersey Republican Congressman Jeff Van Drew, speaking on Fox News. Instead of paying millions of dollars worth of taxes, he used the money to buy escort services, luxury hotel rooms, pornography, uh, just you name it, he did it. His trial will begin June 20th with pretrial motions on March 27th and a pretrial hearing on June 3rd. Biden has been released on his own recognizance with conditions which include no possession of firearms, no alcohol, no illegal drugs or marijuana, as well as supervision by pretrial services. Now your ideas don't have to wait. Now they have everything they need to come to life. Dell Technologies and Intel are creating technology that loves ideas. Loves expanding your business, evolving your passions. We push what technology can do so great ideas can happen right now. Find out how to bring your ideas to life at dell.com slash welcome to now. That's dell.com slash welcome to now. Gordon's off. I'm Mike Gavin. Thanks for stopping by on this Friday. Conservative outrage over the top line spending deal negotiated by House Speaker Mike Johnson is already fueling speculation of whether he could meet the same fate as his predecessor and have his gavel yanked away. More on that from Emily Brooks, House reporter for The Hill. Emily, things already starting to get real for Speaker Mike Johnson on Capitol Hill. Take us through what's been happening this week. Well, the biggest thing to know is that the House in 2024 is largely the same as the House in 2023. They still have a razor-thin majority. And in fact, because of McCarthy resigning from Congress and George Santos being expelled, it's even a slimmer margin than when McCarthy was in. And so, you know, you have that. You have a Senate that has Democratic control and a Democratic White House. Republicans are in a really tough spot, no matter who is in charge. But this, th- there is a lot of conservative outrage at Mike Johnson after he uh, came out with a top-line spending deal that was largely in line with the top-line spending deal uh, that McCarthy previously negotiated and eventually led to uh, so much discontent that he was ousted. And so because of that, there's a lot of speculation about whether the new speaker, Mike Johnson, could face the same fate. And that really ramped up after Chip Roy, congressman from Texas, explicitly said that he would leave the option of a motion to vacate on the table. Now, you're right that this deal is largely in line with the spending caps and side spending agreement struck as part of the debt limit deal negotiated with Speaker McCarthy last year. So it can't be surprised that the hardline conservatives aren't happy with it, right? Absolutely. They're not happy with it. Now, I will say that, you know, these type of Freedom Caucus and Freedom Caucus allies have definitely um, changed sort of what they were looking for last year when they were battling with McCarthy after this spending deal. They were looking for a lower overall top-line number right now than, you know, the the top-line number they wanted to 
have it with a spending deal, but they didn't want some of these sort of side money moving around agreements um, that uh, ended up kind of kind of when you account for that makes the number a little bit higher. Mm. But Speaker Johnson says that this is the best spending deal that he could get. He touted some other wins like accelerating um, some uh, rescissions of IRS funding and clawing back some pandemic aid. But, you know, this is still not really good enough for them. And so another one of uh, a Republican who did vote to oust McCarthy, Tim Burchett, said that he has heard a lot of people talking about a potential move to oust Johnson. But, you know, the the thing that you have to remember is, is one, this is a, this is an election year. So there's how much appetite is there going to be to actually make this kind of move? Who would take Johnson's place? Last time they had this, there was three weeks without a speaker, and they had a lot of trouble trying to figure out who, if anyone, it would be better. So there's just like a, a lot of skepticism that this would actually turn into um, an actual motion to vacate. Speaking with Emily Brooks, House reporter for The Hill, her story, Johnson risks same fate as McCarthy with spending deal. Uh, but if it were to come to a vote, it doesn't seem like Democrats would rush to help Johnson, much like they didn't with McCarthy. Yeah, that is a big uh, question. You know, there, there was one congressman, Republican, I was talking to, Representative Steve Womack of Arkansas. He was saying he doesn't think that Democrats, like they did with McCarthy, would allow uh, the speaker to be vacated again and continue sort of that chaos and uncertainty and paralyze the House because of that. All right. Thanks, Emily. Emily Brooks from The Hill joining us this morning. 20 minutes now after the hour, here's Nicole Murray. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. United States and Britain have launched more than a dozen strikes against Houthi rebel targets in response to the consistent attacks on commercial ships in the Red Sea. President Biden said he would not hesitate to take further action if needed in a recent statement. Secretary of State Antony Blinken. We have um, a number of countries that have made clear that if it doesn't stop, there'll have to be consequences, and unfortunately it hasn't stopped. Uh, but we want to make sure that it, it does, and we're prepared to do that. Australia, Canada, Bahrain, and the Netherlands have showed support for the strike. Iran, who supports the Houthis, strongly condemned the attacks. Number two. Hunter Biden has pled not guilty on federal charges he faces for allegedly failing to pay taxes on $1.4 million of income between 2016 to 2019. The president's son allegedly spent millions on drugs, escorts, and other pricey items during that same period. Congressman Pat Fallon on Fox News. He chose not to pay $1.4 million in taxes that he owed. He didn't do that. He chose to involve himself in sex trafficking. He chose to involve himself in hard drug use. He chose to sell influence and peddle access to his father and to the tune of millions of dollars, many to our enemies, China for one. Biden's tax evasion trial is set for June 20th, and he faces up to 17 years in prison if convicted. Number three. An update on Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. He remains hospitalized at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center after suffering complications from prostate cancer surgery. Pentagon spokesman Major General Patrick Ryder regarding Lloyd's ongoing responsibilities. Certain operational authorities that require secure communications. In other words, at any time, should the Department of Defense be required to make important key strategic defense decisions, 
there is always someone on the other end of the phone who can make those decisions at the appropriate level. Good Morning America anchor Michael Strahan, as revealed, his 19-year-old daughter Isabella is battling a malignant brain tumor. Tumor. Isabella Strahan was diagnosed after she began experiencing excruciating headaches and has since underwent emergency surgery, followed by several rounds of radiation. And on the next episode of Paw and Order, there was a jailbreak at an Arizona shelter. A husky named King got out of his kennel overnight, opened doors with his mouth and paws. He even tried to free other fellow pups, clawing at locks and kennel doors. King has since been adopted. Love this. Love the Paw and Order episode. <laughs> we have to make that a regular feature. And love that King tried to uh, free his friends. And now he's been adopted. It's just good news all around. Happy, happy ending for a Friday. Love it. Love it. Thanks, Nicole. If you still have landline phone service, you may have noticed that your monthly bills have been skyrocketing. That's because the FCC no longer regulates copper lines and phone companies are jacking up the price of their service. UMA is an internet home phone service that lets you keep enjoying the safety and peace of mind of a home phone without paying an arm and a leg. In fact, with a one-time purchase of the UMA Tello, you get internet home phone service for free. All you pay are applicable taxes and fees. Unlike mobile phones, UMA has address-based 911, so dispatchers will know exactly where to find you in an emergency. In the event you call 911, UMA can send a text alert to loved ones. UMA even includes a free mobile app so you can take your home number on the go. And don't worry, you can keep your home phone number for a one-time fee or get a new one for free. Setup is easy. It takes less than 10 minutes. Stop paying too much for home phone service. Visit UMA.com slash Gordon Deal today to get a special discount. That's O-O-M-A dot com slash Gordon Deal. Now that everything is cleaned up from the holidays and New Year's, tax season has arrived, which can be a good or bad thing depending on your status. Here with a primer on tax season is Andrew Keshner, known as the tax guy around MarketWatch. Andrew, let's start with an easy one. What's the first day we can start filing? That first day is January 29th. That's a Monday. And then we have until April 15th. That's That's the period. All right. So there are some new developments this tax season. Why don't you take us through some of those? Yeah. So I, I think the, really the the biggest one is um, the IRS is launching its own um, its own test program where taxpayers in certain states, um, uh, twelve states, um, they will be able to file their taxes directly with the IRS uh, instead of. Paying, you know, so basically, instead of paying an accountant or going to a tax preparer or using software, uh, TurboTax or H&R Block, and so on, um, you just plug your numbers in and, and you and you do it straight with the IRS for no cost. Then um, there are some things, some of the intrigue with the IRS uh, funding is part of the government's budget negotiations. Talk about what's happening there. Yeah. So right. So this is also, you know, this is also happening at this moment when. Um, so rewind to the debt ceiling negotiations, um, I believe that last spring. And um, part, of, part of the plan was in order to raise the debt ceiling, one of the things that was going to happen is the IRS was bound to get $80 billion over a decade. And the deal was that $20 billion of that $80 billion um, was going to get redirected elsewhere, not spent on the IRS. Um, and the newest twist now is that though that twenty billion is going to get phased out a lot sooner than originally planned, um, and you know of course uh, I, everything is still it's all preliminary. But this is you know this new 
negotiation to keep the government to keep the lights on for the government um, on January nineteenth and uh, and then you know February twelfth and of course um, you know this is all happening again as we're talking about tax filing season so um, you know on the one hand I'm, I'm sure IRS doesn't want to see that money go away. But on the other hand, I'm sure it also wants to keep the lights on um, just as we're going into filing season. So would a partial government shutdown, if it does happen, throw a little bit of a monkey wrench into tax season? You know, um, I mean, first and foremost, you know, I checked this with the the Treasury Department, and they said people will still be able to file their returns even if there is a lapse in funding. Oh, good. So we're not going to get out of it that easy, I guess. Thanks, Andrew. Andrew Keshner of MarketWatch joining us this morning. For all the ones who get it done, Granger is always there to help. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, 24-7 support, free access to product specialists, and experienced staff at over 250 local branches. Plus, they provide real-time product availability online and have sourcing specialists who can help you track down hard-to-find items. And their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call 1-800-GRANGER, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Edgy, smart, bringing you what you need to know. This is America's First News. This morning with Gordon Deal. 34 minutes after the hour, Mike Gavin in for Gordon Deal, along with Nicole Murray on this Friday, January 12th. Here are just some of the stories making headlines today. The U.S. and other countries strike back against Houthi rebels in Yemen. Trump goes rogue to wrap up his civil trial. Hunter Biden pleads not guilty to tax fraud. A Navy helicopter crashed in Southern California last night. All six crew members survived. A bomb cyclone, blizzard-like conditions, and flooding could hammer parts of the country this weekend. Aaron Rodgers was back on the Pat McAfee show one day after the host said he would no longer appear and the surfing grandma with life lessons for all of us that story in about 20 minutes this portion of the program is brought to you by uma copper lines are going away driving up the price of home phone service start saving with uma go to oma.com to learn more Many Americans reach retirement with almost no savings, no 401k, and few investments, and almost no income aside from a monthly Social Security check. That can make it tough to survive, but many are, and they all have different stories to tell. For that, we bring in Veronica Dagger, personal finance reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Veronica, Social Security never was meant to replace retirement savings and investments, was it? No, it wasn't. Uh, But you're right. Right now, one in seven uh, Social Security recipients ages 65 and older depend on their benefits for nearly all of their income, and that's according to an AARP analysis. Um, when In 1940, when this program was new, Social Security replaced just over 20% of a typical worker's income at age 65, and then Congress enhanced benefits, and that benefit, that figure rose to about 50% in the early 1980s, right now it stands under 40% today. And so a lot of people are counting on that monthly check coming in in order to pay their rent and uh, other expenses. And of course, like all of our checks, the Social Security check doesn't go as far as it once did. It really doesn't. I mean, we've got inflation, we have rising rents. And so we're seeing more older adults seeking help from various resources. There's one called Elder Care Locator Tool, and that Elder Care Locator Tool helps people find who are in need, helps people find different resources to help um, pay their bills and, and uh, get financial support and other types of support um, when you're an older person. 
So he talked to a handful of retirees relying mostly on Social Security about how they got there and how they're managing. Tell us about 70-year-old Eric Miller from Fredericksburg, Virginia. Eric is a, a retired professional chef. And the his story is so fascinating because in so many ways it's so common. He never planned to retire. He never wanted to retire. He loved his job. And he was a very much a live-by-the-moment type of guy. And so because of that, he never saved anything. He never saved any money for retirement. Any, any check that came in, that money just went out um, for various reasons. And so now he's in a situation where he is living entirely on Social Security. As an example, at the height of his career, he was earning $2,000 a week as a chef. Now his monthly monthly Social Security check brings in about $1,400. So that, that's a major financial change for Eric. Speaking with Veronica Dagger, personal finance reporter at the Wall Street Journal, her story, here's what it's like to retire on almost nothing but Social <laughs> Security. So another retiree you spoke to, Kathy wrote from Tucson. She has quite a story. She is. She has been an advocate for people with disabilities her entire adult life. She herself has a disability, and she is all about empowering seniors to, to not be embarrassed by any disability. She says, you know, ask for benefits. Ask, uh, ask for accommodations for what you need, because there are resources out there to help people who are disabled and senior citizens uh, get by and, and pay their bills. Um, she gets help from a, a local organization that's uh, near her in Tucson who helps her uh, reimburse some of her bills, whether it's things like wheelchair maintenance or food prep costs. All these things help. And so she says her message to other senior is don't be afraid to seek out resources because that can really make the difference between you being able to uh, make it or not make it as a, a senior. And Joyce McKinney from Philadelphia, I think, echoed a lot of our sentiments about how she wished she'd learned more about money when she was younger. She does. She wishes she learned more about money. She wishes she, wishes she had pursued a higher education. Um, she has a very common sad, uh, story, sadly, story because she was a widow, and she did not expect to ever, whoever expects to become a widow, right? And she didn't know how to pay the bills. And so she was pretty uh, far um, along in her life when she finally had to sit down and learn how to budget, learn how to pay the bills, because her late husband did everything. And that was a really tough lesson to learn. I think she was in her 50s or 60s at the time. And in addition, she had to learn how to scale back her lifestyle. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Veronica. Veronica Dagger of The Wall Street Journal. Now your ideas don't have to wait. Now they have everything they need to come to life. Dell Technologies and Intel are creating technology that loves ideas, loves expanding your business, evolving your passions. We push what technology can do so great ideas can happen right now. Find out how to bring your ideas to life at dell.com slash welcome to now. That's dell.com slash welcome to now. Dry January has exploded in popularity in recent years as people try to reset after the holiday season and start the year off alcohol free. But is that really the best way to deal with excessive alcohol intake? More now from Gordon Deal. We're speaking with Charles Passy from MarketWatch. He's written an opinion piece called Why Dry January is a Bad Idea. All right, so explain your skepticism here, Charles. Well, let's begin with the fact 
a lot of people are doing dry January. I don't know if you're like me, but I feel like every time I turn to one of my social media channels, I've got, you know, 28 friends who are talking about, I'm doing dry January, I'm going to be healthy, it's the new year and all that. And, you know, I got to thinking a little bit about it and talked to a lot of experts, particularly in the field of, of alcoholism and addiction, and sort of took a little bit of a closer look about it. So let's begin with probably the most key bullet point. If you have a major drinking problem, and, you know, there are various ways you can define that and various ways you can check, to check on that, but if you have a major drinking problem, you know, you don't necessarily want to stop cold turkey for a month, You or if you... The real point is you need to be under medical supervision. This is not an easy thing to do if you have a serious drinking problem. And you can go through withdrawal that can be very difficult to manage, can actually even be deadly. So, again, if you have a serious drinking problem, don't just casually say, I'm going to do dry January. And I think that's a message that has not gotten out there. The other thing is you also have to look at why you're drinking. So, you know, stopping drinking, you know, drinking, people use it to, you know, you've heard the term self-medicate. People drink to, to deal with depression, to deal with stress, to deal with anxiety, all those things. You know, just because you stop drinking, the causes underlying the reasons you may be drinking don't go away. That's yet another reason why, you know, if you feel you really have an issue with alcohol, you want to seek professional help as you try to go off of it. So, uh, again, uh, you know, these are things not to take lightly. Now, then there's the category of people who are like, well, I think I drink a little too much. I'd like to see if this would be helpful to me. Maybe I'll learn a few things. And that's kind of a different category. But even then, you know, I have my share of skepticism, again, from talking to people. And, you know, I would say one of the key issues here is that, you know, giving it up for a month may lead to actually drinking more down the road. Oh, I mean, you know, I, you know, the joke I make is dry January could lead to overindulgent February, mm-hmm. and that's probably not your goal either. We're speaking with Charles Passy. He's written an opinion piece for MarketWatch called Why Dry January is a Bad Idea. You said in your piece, too, that non-alcoholic drinks miss the point. How come? Oh, well, uh, you know, a couple of things. One is that they're terrible. <laughs> I mean, you know, we can, I mean, I'm sure many of the producers of non-alcoholic drin, gin, non-alcoholic vodka, there's all the non-alcoholic wines, you know, and then all these non-alcoholic mocktails or, you know, or mocktails, non-alcoholic cocktails. Um, you know, yes, there are a few of them that I'm sure are good. I've had a few that are, you know, passable. But, you know, um, you know, these drinks are often too sweet. You know, if you, if, if you know what a gin tastes like and you've tried a non-alcoholic one, yeah, you know, maybe it gives you a little hint of that idea, but it's not the same thing. Um, you know, my, my, my point is, if you really want a great non-alcoholic drink, try a Coke. They're, they're really tasty soft drinks or whatever, you know. So, you know, um, uh, but, but, but what that also tells me is, look, there is a non-alcoholic version of White Claw, the hard seltzer brand. You know, last I checked, non-alcoholic hard seltzer used to just be called seltzer um so um so but i think what that's telling you is this has become trendy and fashionable you know when 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 brands and marketers jump on something it kind of it kind of makes you wonder what's going on here and i think what's going on here is there's a bandwagon that everybody's jumping on and you know are we doing this because we think it's cool and trendy or are we doing it because we really want to address a drinking issue and so you know so 
So you've got people who are doing it, jumping on these products that probably don't taste that good. Um, and, uh, and, and are they doing it for legitimate reasons or they just kind of want to join the cool crowd and do dry January? Charles Passy from Market Watch with our own cocktail lover, Gordon Deal. Gordon's off. I'm Mike Gavin. Make sure you stay up to date on all we're doing online. Catch up on segments from the show you missed or want to hear again. Or follow what Gordon's up to during his travels. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram and on the X platform at This Morning Show. Coming up in eight minutes in front of the hour, here's Nicole Murray. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. Former President Donald Trump launched several personal attacks at the New York judge on a civil fraud trial. The NYC judge, Arthur Engeron, who Trump accused of having his own agenda, is considering what penalties to impose after discovering Trump's company allegedly inflated his net worth to dupe banks and issued false financial statements every year between 2011 and 2021. New York Attorney General Letitia James is seeking nearly $370 million and a lifetime ban on Trump from the state's real estate industry. This case has never been about politics or personal vendetta or about name calling. This case is about the facts and the law. And Mr. Donald Trump violated the law. The judge says he hopes to issue a ruling by January 31st. Number two. The Texas National Guard has seized control of a park at the U.S. southern border and is now blocking Border Patrol from entering the area. Authorities have set up razor wire and fences to block off Shelby Park, located in Eagle Pass. The tactic is part of Governor Greg Abbott's effort to stop the surge of illegal immigration into Texas. Number three. Country rock star Jelly Roll gave a powerful testimony calling for stronger legislation against the ongoing fentanyl crisis. Jelly Roll, whose real name is Jason DeFord, explained that during his five-minute testimony, someone in the U.S. will die from a drug overdose, and there is a 72% chance it will be fentanyl-related. DeFord has openly spoken about his past drug-dealing conviction. I hurt people. I was the uneducated man in the kitchen playing chemist with drugs I knew absolutely nothing about, just like these drug dealers are doing right now when they're mixing every drug on the market with fentanyl, and they're killing the people we love. The nine-month Ultimate World Cruise set sail late last year, and a TikToker went viral for slamming Bravo for not creating a reality TV show out of the ordeal. Put cameras on that ship right now. What do you mean there's a town hall people aren't being invited to? It's a cruise. What do you mean that the Pinnacle members are being treated differently? There's a cast system being formed? You haven't even been on there for two weeks. Surprise, surprise, the TikToker has gone viral and will be getting a paid 18-night vacation aboard the ship. His job? To interview guests and get the scoop on guest drama happening on board. So the question is, can we all do this? Can we all slam TV networks and have them give us free vacations? Right? I'll go. I will happily go and find whatever hookups, whatever arguments you need. I I volunteer. All right. We're going to look into this for sure. Thanks very much, Nicole. An 80-year-old grandma has proven to the world that it's never too late to conquer a new hobby after learning from her granddaughter how to surf for the first time. According to ABC, Brisa Hennessy posted a video of her grandma Donna on Instagram while on a mission to learn how to surf during an 80th birthday trip to Fiji with her family. After taking a boat ride to the ocean, Donna later proceeded to get on a surfboard with some assistance before getting up on her own and then riding the waves smoothly. The clip's been watched more than 2 million times and she hopes that people realize that life is so short so you should do the thing you want to do and that anything is possible with an open mind, heart, and curious soul. That'll do it for this hour. For Nicole Murray, I'm Mike Gavin. Thanks for listening to This Morning, America's First News.